I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Um, sorry that we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, it has been a very busy time. I don't like, I do not like missing out on Halloween Times episodes. So what do I, what I would encourage you to do is we have several years worth of Halloween Times episodes. So if you, if you really need another episode, you can just reach back and uh, and find one of those. Um, but uh, today we are going to talk about Alex Garland's Annihilation. Uh, but in order to talk about it, I'm going to bring in my friend, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, of course you are. Of course. That is my stocking. That answer. is kind of your thing. <laughs> That's um, all could be but, dying on the inside. I'm still like, oh, no, everything's going crazy. I do kind of feel like you are dying on the inside. Like I see the look in your eyes and it's just yeah. so vacant. But um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Well, first off, uh, Reed isn't just the co-host of this podcast. He is also the co-host of the Fear of God podcast, and which is all about horror and stuff. But this time of year must be extra special. What are you guys doing over there? We do enjoy uh, October for obvious reasons. So uh, we started a somewhat trend. Last year, we did hashtag I love the 90s. Mm-hmm. This year, we did hashtag I love the 80s. And uh, the hashtag is, is more nominal, sort of a call out to VH1. Um, but the uh, the listeners vote on their favorite horror films from that decade. So mm-hmm. they did that for the 90s. They've done that again for the 80s. And then the episodes that we focus on during October are from the listener-voted top 10. Mm-hmm. So we let the listeners just basically decide our lineup with some parameters. Um, and then in every episode, we reveal a new sort of chunk of 10 from their countdown and then spend the bulk of the episode talking about the individual piece from the top 10 and then uh the week of halloween actually the day before halloween we will drop the episode that reveals their top 10 and mm-hmm. talk about um uh, spoiler alert special special more than one lesson listener watch spoiler out plug. here we go um the number one slot is a film that we have already covered. Oh. So um, we will, our ultimate episode uh, will be the number two voted on film. Only because the number one film we already did an episode on. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but it's, a, it, it, it's very exciting. We always have a really good time with that. And, um, and yeah, other than that, we're, uh, we've got a couple of other things planned. We, we did record a special crossover episode again with the folks from The Body, The Blood, and mm-hmm. they're going to be back to talk about Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, that's going to happen in early November, but it's going to be really The book good or the miniseries? We cover mostly the book. Uh, the people who it's were... probably right. Yeah. The people who were on the show did... Um, basically engage the material in a variety of ways, watching mm-hmm. the miniseries, uh, reading the 
original in, uh, in uh, sorry I don't I can't speak for some reason original edition of the stand and the revised complete and uncut edition of the stand and there's all kinds of conversations about that but it how, mostly focuses on how much longer can it be I know right <laughs> did he how many pages did he add like so the original printed version was about 850 pages and then the complete and uncut edition, which is basically the only version you can get now without mm -hmm. paying a relatively pretty penny, um, is, uh, about 1150. So another, have you read both? I have read only the complete and uncut edition okay. because when I came to the book, that was really the only one that was available. Okay. So, um, but there was one of our guests had read the original and while it is basically the same story, he praised its pacing better. Mm. He did say that the comparatively because he had read both and he said that the original version is just shrifter of pace and is a little bit feels a bit more focused mm -hmm. which i can totally understand that stands to reason <laughs> yeah, like absolutely 800 pages will often feel more focused than 11 i would say <laughs> but uh anyway okay well it sounds like you got some good stuff going on over there we certainly um, hope so yeah and as far as what's happening at more than one lesson right now uh bob Connolly wrote a review of bad times at the El Royale, mm. is it? I don't. I don't have it in front of me. Is it the El Royale? Because then it's the the Royal or Royale like, or whatever. Uh, so yes, I believe it's the El Royale. Yeah, I don't I like that so. one bit. No. Somehow I feel like Bob is at fault. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, check out morethanonelesson.com, and then you wrote a review of a, a smaller film that is, you know. There's a political quality to it, mm, but it's mm -hmm. a movie called Gosnell, yes. um, and it's available in a, in uh, several hundred theaters around the country. And so if you're listening to this, it's probably close to you, and it's a, a film that I reviewed for Battleship Pretension. It's uh, not a bad movie. It's a mm -hmm. very harrowing in many cases. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. Um, all right. <clears throat> so today... We are talking about Alex Garland's Annihilation. Uh, we have been trying to do this review for a while, um, <laughs> but it just kept getting pushed back. And then I thought, does it does it qualify as as a good Halloween times movie to talk about? Because it is it's undeniably a very effective science fiction movie. Yeah. But are there people out there that would consider it horror? albeit science fiction horror, but, uh, would they, would they consider it that? And, uh, in thinking about it, I think there are enough suspenseful elements and certainly more than enough horrific imagery, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to allow it to qualify. I think in the end it, it isn't that, mm. um, but I think along the way there's enough, uh, disturbing stuff and, uh, uh, unnerving imagery and, uh, story developments that I was okay with including it in Halloween yeah. times. So, yeah. And, and we can talk about that for maybe a second because I do think the, as, as you kind of alluded to, I think the ultimate aim of the film is not necessarily horrific. No, but I, I think almost undeniably I would, I would probably, you know, go toe to toe with anybody who, who denied the horror in getting to its ultimate end. And I yeah. think that, when we when we discuss the ending, which I'm sure we will, um, there it could be seen in a couple of different ways, and I think one of those ways could be seen as a somewhat scary yeah. uh, element to even the ending. But I agree with you that uh, the ultimate aim of the film seems to be more 
the exploration of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex Garland is that type of creative anyway. Very much so. Um, and uh, so I could, but I, I don't think there's much need to justify. I will say this. There is a scene in the film that gave me one of the most visceral reactions I have had in a theater in a very long time. And that includes from straightforward horror films. Yeah. There's one individual scene in the film that I, I had a physical reaction yeah. to, um, that it was, yeah, I was not quite prepared for, which we might, uh, talk explicitly about, uh, in a moment. Um, and part of me wants to jump immediately to the themes that we'll be exploring, but I don't think I'm going to do that yet. Um, so yeah, Alex Garland has been a screenwriter for a long time. Um, I think I was most aware of uh, his film, uh, his screenplay for 28 Days Later. Yeah. Uh, and then he actually wrote the companion film. I forgot that until I started writing all this down, uh-huh. uh, which is Sunshine. So he's worked with Danny Boyle. He wrote The Beach as well. Yeah. So he's, wor- he's worked with Danny Boyle quite a bit. Um, and what's interesting is that he only recently started directing. He made mm. Ex Machina. Uh, he made this film. And as sometimes happens when an actor m- becomes a director or mm. when a writer becomes a director, is that their, certainly their initial efforts tend to emulate uh, the director that they are most familiar with. Mm. Okay. So like when George Clooney made confessions of a dangerous mind, it felt very Soderberghian, mm. um, who he'd worked with, uh, fair amount, uh, to that point. Yeah. Um, here though, uh, with ex machina and this, I actually don't get much of a Danny Boyle sense. Mm. Uh, there's a certain, um, I don't know. I don't know how I would describe it. There's a, a frenetic quality to Danny Boyle, like that his films tend to move fast and they just feel very like, like hyped up on energy. You know, they just Mm -hmm. have that quality to them. Maybe not all the time, but a good portion of it. Um, his movies are just very alive and I don't mean to imply that, uh, Alex Garland's films are not that, but he, he's making science fiction films and by and large, Something that I have found, and maybe you can speak to this as well, something that I found in science fiction, at least the the good ones, mm. uh, is a real patience and a real uh, mm. methodical meditative pace. Yeah. Uh, and I think with Ex Machina, where just things kind of unfold very slowly as the characters, you know, there's often a, a dawning quality of where something dawns on the characters, uh, usually in the third act. Um and so I think that uh, I think that his films certainly have that. Um, yeah. Would oh, you say, just in your opinion, like with science fiction? I know you're more of a horror guy, but you you've, oh, you like um, science fiction as almost well. as much science fiction. Yeah. Um, would you say that is a common theme to like most of the science fiction that we talk about? I think so because the the most of what gets lumped into science fiction is simply what I would call futuristic, and that's not sure. quite the same same thing. Yeah. Science fiction, as I understand it, and there have been novels of you know mountains of material written about this, but science fiction is very much about um, understanding through the lens of technology. Mm-hmm more about the human spirit, the human condition, uh, matters of interpersonal relationship, the um, sort of state of being that we Mm -hmm. find ourselves in. So it will utilize conventions of technology to explore states of reality. And as a result, demands a certain patience, demands a certain um, deliberate 
an intentional approach yeah. to things, even though what they're approaching and part of what I really respond to in science fiction, honestly, um, is similar to what I respond to in horror, though I feel like horror is after different things, mm-hmm. is this kind of reach towards what does it mean to be who we are and what we and what we are. Yeah, and, there's a real metaphysical quality to most science fiction. Yeah. Like, regardless of it, it's like, oh, but science fiction, you know, you're in space or that you're dealing with technology, like very, again, very science-based things. But when you think of the best science fiction, hmm. um, you think of 2001 A Space Odyssey, you think of yeah. Solaris, um, and I'd say a movie like Annihilation, which suggests that like there are some things that are just beyond explanation and we're going to try and grapple with with that in the yeah. midst of these scientific trappings. Yeah. And I think that's such a fascinating idea and one that that almost seems counterintuitive, you know, mm. uh, certainly a movie like alien does not suggest anything metaphysical. It is an extremely nihilistic and, <laughs> uh, materialistic, uh, film, but, but yeah, most, I feel like most of the ones that we do talk about, there's just this element of, of who, you know, like you said, exploring who we are, why we do what we do, and then maybe suggest that it goes beyond explanation mm-hmm. um but they're still gonna try yeah so um One of which, the is, which is why i always thought like i would like to see terrence malick do like a science fiction movie a more yeah mm-hmm. you know i because i feel like the tone of his movies especially the last few years has been very like solaris to me oh absolutely um well and and oh if i'm gonna say his name correctly tarkovsky yeah, is yeah. That right? so i i'm a recent uh, fan of his. I mm-hmm. had not seen, I think the first film I saw of his, I maybe saw probably three or four years ago. Okay. Um, I think it might've been stalker. Yeah. But, um, so I'm, I'm a relative newcomer to his work, but when I saw Solaris, um, he is, he's such a, and I'll say this about science fiction in general. It's staggering to me how a lot of science fiction deals with spiritual realities. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm coming from a faith perspective, so naturally I'm going to see that in more places than maybe some other listeners would. But they deal with spiritual realities um, often accidentally. Like Mm -hmm. they're they're bumping into things by exploring technology. And by exploring, I think they, they usually wind up, and I'm thinking specifically of 2001 and Solaris at this point, of notions of uh projections of the soul or like the uh, the evolution of the soul the journeys of of soul or spirit as it were Mm -hmm. um and i have always found it fascinating that in science fiction which you would think and many people would would profess is really just about you know technology and and where human beings or, or materialism where yeah. material will take us in the yeah. future and how we will progress with it but instead wind up uh really contemplating matters of again the spirit or the soul something deeper and uh, we, Josh and I did an episode about Interstellar a while ago and that's a, a film that definitely deals in the metaphysical and the spiritual but it doesn't want to yeah, like right when it, it, it spoilers for solar uh, for uh, um interstellar i suppose but uh you know interfering with the human plight are these 
beings that I guess are aliens, but they can, mm-hmm. ma- they, they can operate outside of time and they mm-hmm. can manipulate things and all that sort of thing. And they've just, or they could be humans that have evolved and they're in the future, but now they can reach back. And it's just one of those things that's just like, I get what you're saying, but you are giving the, these beings such power that why don't you just say God? Right. Because right, right, you, right. you clearly you, this is what you want to explore. Mm-hmm. You just don't know it. And I, and yes, I realize it's easy and for me to presume and say that sort of thing, but it's one of those things like you are bending over backwards so much mm-hmm to try to not to try to keep this materialistic and in doing so you're actually kind of sidestepping uh in an awkward way uh what is frankly the more obvious not even explanation but the more more obvious exploration so just do it right you know Mm I mean, for Pete's sake Stanley Kubrick wasn't afraid to, to explore that kind of thing yeah neither was Tarkovsky but Christopher Nolan just feels the whole film just feels right. so resistant to that. Um, I, I strongly agree with Interstellar. It's what holds me back from really loving that film. I think there's a yeah. lot to love in it. There is a lot, particularly to love. visually and narratively. Yeah. But I think thematically, it is oftentimes a bit timid yeah. to to really dive into or commit to yeah. its message. Like you said, I mean, like Kubrick was you know, very vocally outspoken, uh, non-believer atheist. And he, uh, and, and said that 2001, uh, well, I actually think it was Clark that made the quote, but Kubrick didn't refute him. Um, that this, that 2001 was in many ways a religious movie, Mm -hmm. that it was exploring something, uh, you know, overtly religious, which you can see in the, you know, when you look at sort of the interactions of the monolith or, you know, the presence of the monolith as it were. I remember, uh, it, I might've actually said this in the interstellar review, but, um, (laughs) many years ago on Hulu, Kevin Smith was going to have, it had a short lived show called spoilers in which he Mm -hmm. and like a celebrity guest would talk about certain movies. And I remember in the promo, he said, he said, like, we don't review movies, we revere movies. And it's like, hmm. okay, uh, explain. And then he said, he goes, what we do is we watch a movie, we have an audience there, and then we talk about what we liked and what we didn't, what the movie's about. And I was just like, the word you're looking for <laughs> is review, <laughs> but you're just scared to say it. Right. Because right, right, in right. your mind, because he's been somewhat vocal about critics and that kind of thing, it's just like, you don't like, you don't like doing this thing, but you do you without knowing it, you see the, the point of it. And that's, that's how I feel about, uh, interstellar, but we're not reviewing interstellar today. (laughs) We are in, uh, we are reviewing, uh, annihilation and, uh, annihilation is, is a film that by the time I saw it, um, I think it had been out for two weeks and I had heard so many people just like talk it up and, and I was, and I had liked Ex Machina quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I thought like, okay, I think this movie's going to be something special. And I saw it on my birthday alone. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> Jen was not feeling well. Yeah. Oh man. So, like, oh God bless her. She tried, but she wasn't feeling well. <laughs> so like we went home, like I basically like put her to bed and then I was like, okay. Historically, my birthdays don't go well. Uh, um, hmm. And so I just thought like, you know what? I'm not going to let it be this. <laughs> and so I sent out a text to a bunch of people and I said, I am going to Coral Cafe in Burbank. I'm going to be there alone. But if anybody would like to join me on my birthday, that would be great. 
<laughs> thankfully, uh, many people did, which was very nice of them. Um, but yeah, and so I think honestly, I was already in kind of an odd introspective, not that it takes much for me to get introspective, but, mm-hmm. um, I think I was already because of the situation, which I was seeing it, which was I'm alone on my birthday, right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. I think I was very receptive to the tone mm-hmm. of annihilation mm-hmm. and I was just so, I, I don't want to necessarily like uh, burn the ending just yet, but I was just astonished. And I had heard some of the stories behind the scenes about, the studio wanting to change the ending because audiences didn't understand it. But the, hmm. the producer, I think Scott Rudin said like, no, we're going to keep it as it is. Yeah. And, and ran the risk of really alienating people because it is right. not star Wars. It is not alien. No, it is much close. And it's, and it's not necessarily as advertised either. Um, I agree. And just, and as it was unfolding, I just had a smile on my face and I was just watching which is my eyes wide open, just being like, I, I so seldom see this, mm. um, unless I'm watching an older movie or something like that. Yeah. Uh, because that's the other thing is I expect these kind of, I expect these kind of narrative beats from an indie film, mm-hmm. but then they don't have the budget for it. Mm. This is an indie sensibility with yes. a, with real money behind it. And Alex Garland, like, as much as I liked Ex Machina, like it was, he does a lot with, I would say a limited budget here. He has a much larger budget and he, in my view, just declared himself as like one of the most interesting filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Hey, the film didn't do well. So who knows if he's going to be allowed this again, but oh, I hope so. I hope so too, because it was just, it was an, it was an invigorating movie to watch every step of the way. Um, yeah. It, and invigorating is a good word. It's, yeah. It's, it's enthralling. It's captivating, uh, visually, thematically. Um, I, I think narratively. Yeah. I want to read because I have not yet read it. But I, but um, the um, Southern Reach trilogy, which is what the mm. uh, what the the first installment of which oh, is really? Annihilation. Um, and uh, Jeff Vandermeer is uh, presumably. I've heard echoes that like the film covers other elements of the Southern reach trilogy at, sure. you know, uh, branching out. Um, I've heard that it, you know, takes the first book and just sort of goes to different places with the mm-hmm. ideas or whatever. But, but I've been very curious to read those books and I haven't had the chance no. yet. So I, I really want to. So the story is, uh, how would you even describe the story? Like in, in two sentences, I mean, it, it just, a, a, an anomaly appears uh, it almost looks like an Aurora Borealis, like does, on yeah. land. Yeah. It looks like, uh, uh, looks like an extended, like, uh, bubble reflecting, re, you know, refracting light mm-hmm. and, um, exploration teams have gone in. They have not returned. Yeah. And the first individual who does return, um, happens to be the husband of, uh, this, is she a professor? She I believe so. Yeah. A professor or research specialist. I couldn't. I yeah, I don't recall. But but regardless of that, she's um, a uh, a biologist, and so uh, she then is in is asked to come and lead a new expedition into what they're calling this shimmer mm-hmm. to see what is at the heart of it, what is at the source of it, because it's yeah. growing, it's getting bigger. Yeah, and uh, so they want to. That was more than two sentences, but that's the premise of the film. Yeah, and just okay. 
No, I feel like I'm bagging on Nolan now, <laughs> but one of my big problems with, uh, inception. Okay. Okay. I talked mm-hmm. about interstellar. Sure. Um, one of my, which I actually like more than inception. Um, one of my big problems and, and David said this as well is that, you know, we're dealing with dreams, but at no point did it feel quite as weirdly ambitious as a dream actually is. Like mm. when you think of your dreams, Sometimes they can be very small and intimate. Sometimes, sometimes they can be over the top, but they, the logic behind them makes so much sense in the moment. But when you think back on them, you think that makes no sense at all. Yeah. And inception is something that purports to put you inside a dream, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels very much like it puts you inside a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there, you, you need to try to, I feel like he, what he, he didn't try to really delve into what it meant to be this thing. And so, whereas Alex Garland really tries to show that the shimmer, um, mm-hmm. is from another world, mm-hmm. another dimension, who knows? The point is it is not of earth. So it, so anything inside it begins to, you know, whether it it was already there, like trees or whatever, or a person who goes in, like it doesn't, those things don't stay the same. This thing changes them. Mm -hmm. It annihilates them as they are and changes them into something new. And the something new is not just like, oh, it's a, it's still you, but you've got a third eye or another leg or something like that. It's not that it Mm -hmm. changes people into various things. It changes trees and buildings and like, it just changes it in, into things that you would never occur to you. Right. You know? And I feel like you really feel like you're in another, not just another world, another way of thinking, another way of yes. operating yeah. when you're inside the shimmer. And I like that it takes a while to really understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even down to the idea of time dilation, like where mm. you never quite know how long you've been in there because time just doesn't mean the same thing. Right. You know, in the same way that I feel like a, a movie like Arrival, when it's talking about language and writing and we're dealing with aliens who, whose language isn't even, isn't similar to any language on earth and whose writing is not similar to any writing on earth as it wouldn't be. It is a completely different species. Yes. Uh, as opposed to, ah, they're green, you (laughs) see. Right, right, right. And their writing is still left to write line by line, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think one, one thing that I like about fantasy in general, but also science fiction when it's done right is that it just shows you, it just takes your world and turns it upside down, inside out and turns the lights off. Like it's Mm -hmm. all of these things Mm -hmm. and then asks your eyes to adjust and then you don't even know what you're looking at. Right. And as opposed to just like, yeah, it's this, but inverted. Right. Right, 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 right. It's not really hard to wrap your uh, mind around. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating about that is, is I feel like one of the, and he's a, a legend in the science fiction world to the degree that I think, you know, I, I'm what I'm about to say is not intending to be critical, mm-hmm. but I have a few thoughts in quick succession. Isaac Asimov. Yeah. Um, he is someone who I think very much wrote science fiction with similar rules as to how 
you know, normal, the normal natural world operates. He, he just has it on different planets. Um, I think in many ways, Ray Bradbury, who is, you know, for many years was my favorite writer and mm-hmm. really uh, second only to Stephen King for my, you know, love and affection as a writer. But even he wrote still very much the these other worlds are still following the same rules. Right. There's going to be like maybe a heightened sense or there's going to be some sort of abnormal quality to it, but they're still abiding by the same rules. You mentioned Annihilation and Arrival, and I've seen... At first, I thought the pairing was, I was like, that's that's interesting. But I've frequently seen them in, like, digital sales butted up against one another hmm. to where it would be like, hey, you know, for 15 bucks you can get both Arrival and Annihilation. Right. And uh, you just mentioned Arrival, and it made me think, like, I really do think, and obviously they're very different films. Yeah. Uh, I don't consider Arrival to be remotely horrific, even though there's a couple of suspenseful parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, they are very much, like, cut from the same cloth, I think, in mm-hmm. terms of they're willing to push into, as you've already pointed out, things that are categorically not of this world, yeah. you know, language that we are not accustomed to yeah. using. And what I love so much, you mentioned dreams, and uh, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm joining your beating up Nolan. I, I actually, I actually really, I like Christopher Nolan a lot. He's know, an extremely talented filmmaker. Me too. Me too. I, I won't take anything away from him, but I agree with you in the sense that inception really still follows in the dreams that they yeah. have still follows rules, um, that we, that only slightly tweak what we are used to the elements of annihilation. And it's only just coming to me in this moment. Somebody that I really truly think commits to, obviously from a horror context, but somebody who commits to the idea of dreams and nightmares being things you're not accustomed to seeing, I would point to Clive Barker, the work of Clive Barker. Absolutely. um, He's only, he's only directed three films. Um, A couple of other films of his have been adapted, but the three films he, he directed Hellraiser, Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions very much, uh, you feel this sort of otherworldly quality yeah. to it. It does not just feel like this is humanoid. Uh, and, and I feel like Annihilation really gets a similar tone correct. Yeah. Um, there are, in the way that it fundamentally rearranges the, the, the DNA structure of yeah. the things that you see, the living things that you see yeah. in this world um, in ways that are horrendous and terrifying most of the time. And yet also very beautiful. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's what's stunning about th- it. There are images in here. Like I am convinced that Alex Garland must have seen the mo- the, the show Hannibal oh, because yeah, yeah. that is a show that deals in the horrific and the beautiful yes. often in the same image so that you are looking at something truly grotesque and yet you're in awe of it. Right. Um, and you know, to compare, again, it's not the companion film, we'll get to it, but to compare Arrival with Annihilation, what I will say is that it explores like these otherworldly things, but it, they, the reason I would, I, would, I would link the two up is it also explores the, the instinct of our main characters to explore it. Mm-hmm. And it's not, the inst- it's not curiosity. Mm. It is, in these cases a real brokenness. Hmm. Uh, and it could be like a loneliness. It could be like, a, I've made a lot of mistakes. It's I've been betrayed, yeah. whatever it is. It's essentially this idea. Okay. I've said this before. 
um, uh, an old youth pastor of mine, Randy Edwards, uh, RIP, um, he once described suicide in a very specific way. And I think I've taught, again, I, I, I know I've said it on the show probably when talking about depression, but he once described suicide in a very specific way where he said, he said, I, he goes, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to get to a point where you say, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm out of here. Mm. Like mm -hmm. one thing I do know is I can't take it here anymore. Yeah. And yeah. so whether it be, you know, Amy Adams trying to, to make contact with these aliens and really understand them or Natalie Portman and really that whole team going into the shimmer because there's not much left for us out here. Right. right. So even if it's a fate worse than death on the other side, like, uh, I'm going to go with the devil. I don't know today. Cause the devil I know is, uh, intolerable at this yeah, point. Right, and right. so that's something that I find really interesting is there's a real, in, in both films, but I'd say maybe even more annihilation, there's a real sense of grief and brokenness and desperation and just a real sadness. Yeah. And the shimmer provides, uh, an alternative to that, um, and kind of an escape, uh, from that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, as, as cold as science fiction can often be, it is one of the most humanistic genres I've ever seen. Like you yeah. said, like oh, it, they really want to try to use this very strange imagery and often a very strange logic and, and sometimes a very cold logic. I would never, I don't know anybody that would cry at 2001 or mm. Solaris. Right. Uh, right. maybe not even this one, um, arrival maybe, but, uh, but they do, they are really interested in the things that make us human, including our emotions and including mm -hmm. our sense of loss and that kind of thing. So, um, so I think that's one of the, one of the many reasons why I really adore uh, Annihilation is because it's it's not just interested in like cool weird imagery, which right. it could have. Right, right, right. Like this this film could have been incredibly shallow, but still had the same imagery, and I'd probably still really like it. But but it, it wants to use it for this very specific purpose. And what I like is that the purpose is never completely explained because right. that ending is not completely explained. Right. Um, and I, I have no doubt that there are a lot of people that went to see the film and came out extremely frustrated mm. because mm -hmm. in fact, I know that's the case because <laughs> as I was leaving the movie, I did hear a couple say like, it, you know, admittedly they didn't sound angry. Mm but they did sound just, uh, and not even put off. They just sounded like, I don't know. I can't really describe it, but essentially the, the guy was saying, he goes, what was that even about? You know? <laughs> right, and so right, like right, right. he wasn't upset. He wasn't like saying we should get our money back or anything like sure, that. Sure. He was engaged with it. Um, which I, I think is, is better than not. Uh, but yeah, it's a good question. Like what is, what is the movie even about? And I think to even try to summarize it in one or two things, right, um, right. would be silly because I think it's just like everything else. It's about the human condition. But I think in exploring some of the beats and some of the things that the characters say and common denominators between the characters, mm -hmm. I think we can sort of begin to ascertain what the film is trying to do. Um, 
But, uh, but I will say, uh, before we get into kind of thematic stuff, I did want to talk about some of the acting. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's a, it's a, an ensemble film. There is a lead, but, uh, you know, it's a whole team going into the shimmer right, right. and each one and it's, and it's five women, which I find interesting. Um, and each one has their own history each one has their own, uh, issues. Sometimes, honestly, if I'm, if I want to, you know, I don't want to give the film a complete pass every once in a while, the dialogue is a little bit clunky mm, as they're talking, as they're talking about their past and that kind of thing. But mm. I think, I think the actresses mostly pull it off. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. But, but yeah, and, and Natalie Portman is, is an actress that uh, Black Swan was my favorite movie of that year. I thought she was marvelous in it. Um, but I do know a lot of people who since then have looked back on her her Oscar win for that film and just her career in general. And they say that she's not that interesting of an actress, not that talented of an actress. Hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I don't, I, I maybe think that she doesn't, she's not able to fully display what she's a, what she's uh, able to do in, in the parts that she takes. But I mean, you look at closer or black Swan or I assume the professional, which I've never actually seen. Oh, um, the professional's great. I know I won't derail us, but no, the professional's uh, wonderful. That's, that's one of the films that like, there are the movies that I haven't seen that general film fans are like, I can't believe you haven't seen that. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and then there are the ones that, film fans of a very specific age who grew up watching very specific movies. Oh, sure. And the professional is definitely one of them. Oh, gotcha. Um, gotcha. And so, uh, so yeah. Uh, but I think she's actually a very interesting actress who, mm-hmm. who, uh, is able to play very specific beats that, you know, sometimes even her choices are a little bit confounding. Mm. Um, and I mean that in a good way. And I think in this film, you get you get a lot of that. Yeah, one of the things that I've, I don't know if I consistently, no, I definitely don't consistently like it, but she often feels restrained and yeah. she she rarely feels to me like so many other actors who will, uh, you, you can, the phrase that I'm sure you're, uh, in your theater studies came across Maybe your professor said it, ours did. Um, you can see the strings. Sometimes you can just see yeah. actors acting. And Natalie Portman is one that I always feel like she is is restraining herself. And sometimes I can see how that would come off to someone else as almost a non-choice, mm-hmm. as if she was just reciting the lines or going through the motions. But I do think it's something that's very deliberate on her part to try to push forward some subtext in what she's doing, which is part of why I think, I mean, she's, she's a very lovely actor, but mm-hmm. she, but she's also, um, she, she has this quality to her where you do consistently feel like something is bubbling under the surface. Yes. And I feel like when the material itself is shallow, I'm looking at you, Star Wars prequels, but sure. when the material itself is shallow, then whatever subtext she may be bringing to the role, it, d- it doesn't really yeah. mean anything because she may have this full, rich inner life, but because she's restraining herself so much, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't seem like it's showing forth. Yeah. Whereas versus in Annihilation, where there is... St- I mean, honestly, her role in this... Okay, 
I'm going to make a comparison. I talk about him from time to time. Um, but I think Natalie Portman is a better actor than Keanu Reeves is, but Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves presence in certain films. Like for instance, I'll point to the matrix and one of the reasons why he works so well in the matrix is that there are so many other interesting things going on around him Mm -hmm. that if he was doing too much, there might be some degree of, uh, like scene chewing or it might not quite vibe or work. And instead what he does really effectively um, like the way he holds his body and, and just sort of his movements and his general presence, his general aura, if you will. Um, it works really well in that film. In a similar way, Natalie Portman's restraint in the midst of the shimmer and all of the things that are going on around it, right. I think w- counterbalances really, really well. Including the other performances. Absolutely. Um, because the other characters, I feel like it's reductive to say that they lose their minds. I don't think it's that. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of them does. Mm. Um, whereas I think the others feel a certain degree of liberation. Mm. Um, mm. Others come in with a very specific goal and have a very specific drive and it just enhances that. So yeah. I think it could be, it could be said that like, you know, the shimmer, when it changes you, mm-hmm. it doesn't change you a hundred percent from what you were. Right. It more takes certain elements of like the essence of what you are, whether you are an animal or Mm -hmm. a human or a plant or a building, whatever it is, it takes parts of the essence of that and expands upon them. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at, at the, the eventual fates of the various, um, uh, you know, members of, of the expedition or whatever you want to call it. Um, you see like, okay, that feels, I mean, it's sad often, mm-hmm. but it feels right. It sort of feels like certainly not necessarily the way they might want to go, but it feels like the way they were always going to go yeah. in some way, shape or form. Uh, and that's uh, such a neat idea mm-hmm. that the shimmer in some ways like com- just completes where you are headed, but yeah. in maybe a more literal way. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's so hard to talk about this movie. Like when <laughs> talking about the concepts and, and the, the visual execution of things, because it is such a gorgeous film that like listening to two idiots, uh, sorry, one idiot and me, uh, <laughs> talk about, <laughs> I'm joking. You're the smartest person I know. Oh, come on. That's um, not true, but thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not going to do justice to it at all. No. So, you know, listeners, if you haven't seen Annihilation, then go and watch it. I was very happy I saw it in the theater. Yeah, oh, and um, I did get to see it in the theater. I I feel like, to your point, we could have a four-hour conversation about it approached from at least a dozen different ways, Yeah, and we'd still leave so much on the cutting room yeah. floor because there's, there's so many different ways to approach the story, Yeah, um, which I find this is the type of film that I know years from now will still be rewarding multiple viewings like, like 2001, like Solaris, these films that um, are far more interested in provoking certain thoughts and ideas and emotions in you than they are in spelling everything out for you. Um, And I, I can, again, I can, like you said, I can understand why some people might be frustrated by that, but that's precisely what I, that's one major element that I love about annihilation. Yeah. And, and to bring in our companion film, which is Sunshine, directed mm-hmm. by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland, um, 
you know, there's this, in both instances, you have this team of people that are going towards this thing that is both a source of life and destruction. Yeah. You know, and they're going there for very specific reasons in general. Mm -hmm. But you kind of also get the impression they're going for very specific reasons individually. Right. Um, And in both cases, you have maybe not everybody acknowledges it, but you have people just say, this is so beautiful. And sometimes they say it right before they die, you right, know? Right. Um, and so that like the expedition aspect of it and this idea of we need to go towards this thing that is so frightening. Mm-hmm. Not that I, okay. There are horror elements in sunshine and wh- frankly, I wish they weren't there. I understand why they're there thematically, but I, I feel like they're just, they come up so late in the, in the story that it's like, ah, this doesn't feel right. It takes a really hard pivot there in the last 15, 20 minutes it, or so. It yeah. does. And I don't think it's necessary. Hmm. Like it almost, it felt like it was a very, and so maybe I'll blame Alex Garman, maybe uh, who knows, but, um, <clears throat> it felt like the kind of science fiction movie we're talking about and then very quickly turned into, it, it almost feels like they didn't trust the, the circumstances the they had set up. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah. all right, this isn't enough. Like the impending death of the entire planet feels like those aren't enough stakes. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's bring like a killer in here as well. Yeah. Um, some twisted, like how did he survive all yeah. those years? Of the, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. bring some stupid event horizon there are elements I like of a, about Event Horizon, but it's not a smart script. <laughs> Here's the thing about okay, Event Horizon. I knew you were going to say. Of course. Okay, here we Here's go. Here's the thing. Um, it, it deeply saddens me that the nearly three-hour cut appears to be forever lost to time. Because I feel like Event Horizon is... It just reeks... There are so many interesting things about it. Yes, It just there are. reeks of if you want to blame studio mishandling or some sort of like production mishandling or whatever, because yeah, it is a film that the first time I saw it, I was like, "Eh, whatever, I don't care. And then as time has gone on and as I've seen it more than once, it's grown in my affection for it, but also in my sadness that we're not going to really ever reach its full potential. I don't think it's one of those things where, and you can find this in any genre of, of any kind of movie or TV show or whatever, where you see like all the elements are there and you feel Mm -hmm. like if there were more to this or if they just tweaked it a little bit, this might be brilliant. Yeah. However, at the moment it's just incredibly stupid. Um, (laughs) Right. And it feels derivative in a lot of places, oh which, I think is, which I think is categorically unfair because it's, it's very fascinating. If I see but that feels, paper analogy once more, yes. <laughs> I feel like I've seen it in like eight movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes. Uh, anyway, so what was I talking about? Oh, yes. uh, Sunshine, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. the killer Sunshine. coming in yeah. looking like Event Horizon. And so you have these, you know, you have, uh, these groups going towards this thing, um, and I feel like they, they kind of explore, and I don't view it as a, as a weakness that they don't fully, but they kind of explore why the people signed up mm-hmm. uh, to go mm-hmm. on this expedition in Sunshine. Now, in some cases, they were kind of recruited because they came up with the technology that's going to help or right. whatever it is. They're the expert. Um, you know, and some of them, maybe it's just like, I am willing to make the sacrifice for my planet, you know, yeah. and there's a nobility there. Um, 
but underneath it all, partially because the, the, the expedition's been going on for a while, the mission's been going on for a while, but you really start to see like just the inner workings of these people as they get closer to their goal. Um, and because there's this feeling like, okay, we are saving humanity. And this actually is kind of where some of the stuff comes in with the, the event horizon killer stuff yeah. is this idea. It's like, we're saving humanity. Is it worth saving? Mm, like mm-hmm. maybe this isn't as it should be. And so along the way, um, so there's a, there's a line from, uh, annihilation in which the character Josie, um, played by Tessa Thompson, she says, Ventress, who's another character, Ventress wants to face it. You want to fight it. But I don't think I want either of those things. Mm-hmm. And she says this right before she basically just gives herself over to the shimmer. That and is, it's, a, it's, it's a disturbing and yet gorgeous image. That is when you mentioned the horror mixed with the beauty. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought about is Josie's ultimate fate. Yeah. Because few things in that film made my skin crawl the way that her scars turning into seeds for, for yeah. plant life and, and these, these plants sort of budding out of her wounds. Yeah. Oh my God. Which is a little, a little fly esque. Yes, very much so. Okay. So I, I'm, I, I thought of this earlier when you talked about how this doesn't feel like Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. who it reminds me of a lot next Machina less so, but who it reminds me of a lot is Cronenberg. I, the, n- no question about it. Yes. There's so many things in, so many of the interior pieces to Annihilation that I yeah. was like, yeah, this this is very much something I could see Cronenberg being interested in. Well, because it's about you know it's about change on a on a molecular molecular level, right? So now right. imagine what that means for uh, the human body. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is an image where we see the aftermath. We see video footage of something yes. of a guy, and I imagine that's the image that really got you. A guy is essentially he feels something going on inside him. And they like kind of cut open his stomach and they see what looks like snakes or eels or just his organs moving around. Yeah. looks like his intestines have come alive. Yeah. And actually wasn't the moment, but is it the one after it might be the one immediately after the the moment that got me. Okay. And we don't have to talk about it at the moment, but the bear. Oh, sure. The bear. Yeah. We can talk about that in a, yeah. in a few minutes if you want to, but oh, the bear. So we see video footage of this guy's like guts or whatever right, coming alive. Right. And then, and that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then when the characters find who, what eventually happens to him. Oh my gosh. Like they see this, again, it's this image where his, his torso, it's like, it's like algae or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has sprung out of his body and kind of pulled him in half. Mm-hmm. And now his, the top half of his body is kind of like stuck to a wall with all this. Yeah. Very colorful algae coming out of it. And his lower half is still on the bottom and it looks horrible mm-hmm. and very, there's some very Cronenbergian stuff in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yet I don't, I don't think the film ever, Fully, I think the characters do, but I don't think the film ever fully views this as a negative any more than it views Tessa Thompson's eventual absorption yeah. into the shimmer. Uh, I don't think it views that as a negative. I don't think it, yeah. I, I think that one of the amazing things about the film is that it is suspicious of the shimmer. Mm-hmm. It is occasionally frightened of the shimmer, but I don't think it ever condemns it. 
No, never. Not for an instant. Any more than Arrival condemns those aliens. Like, no. the Shimmer does what it's going to do. The, the time that I think it actually gets closest to a more straightforward, like, this is a dangerous threat, mm-hmm. is actually very early in their time in the Shimmer when they face that, that uh, multi-layered teeth crocodile. Yeah, which that, makes sense because, yes. you know... We're, we're still pretty far out. We're, or sorry, we're not, we're not very far in, right. You know, we're not towards the center of, of the shimmer. So we're still getting just slightly weird versions of our world, Mm -hmm. which it's like, Oh, I don't like that. Right. But as we get deeper and deeper, like the shimmer starts to make, it's not so much that it makes sense, but we start to understand more of what Mm -hmm. it is doing. Right. And so the weirdness, we, we just grow accustomed to it. And so it becomes less overtly frightening. And so the added, the film's attitude towards it is also less condemning and more curious. Yeah. Um, which is, which is why, and this, that there's so many things about the revelation of the bear that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's nightmarish. It's absolutely nightmarish. Yes. Uh, uh, for, for spoil, we're already getting into some spoiler stuff, but for people who haven't seen the film, uh, which, by the way, for a, like stomach it and see it if mm-hmm. you if you can. Um, but there's this bear that is is kind of faceless. It's its face yeah. is like a skull. Yeah, and it's it is otherwise looks like a normal bear, but its face is more like just the skull of a bear. Yeah. But the worst element about it is that when it roars, its roar is the very human scream of its last victim. Yeah. And, and its last victim was one of our expedition party members. Um, so many elements of that concept deeply disturbed me, deeply upset me. Yes. And, and even in that, to your point, even in that it does not feel as if this shimmer thing is like this malevolent, ultimately, right. you know, like a predatory thing. It's just the, I don't, I don't think, uh, this is necessarily the appropriate place to go thematically. And I know it's not what you want to talk about. So I That's don't fine. want to divert us too much, but it is this notion of like, you're moving into something mm-hmm. that is terrifying and will fundamentally alter you irrevocably. Yes. Yeah. But beyond this point, beyond this terrifying, inalterable point, um, this is just the thing that happens. And whether it be the bear or the flower people, right. and no, I'm not right. talking about hippies, I'm talking about literal flower people. That's crazy. Um, one way or another, the shimmer is going to, I, I was going to say, get you, but that sounds like I'm going to get you. Or, yeah. That's more predatory. Like, right. Yeah, right. Right. The shimmer is going to bring you in mm-hmm. and it's going to absorb you and you'll be a part of it. And that mm-hmm. sounds terrifying, but it's also like, you're now officially part of this bigger thing mm-hmm. that is perpetually changing and, and sometimes beautifying and all that. And so the idea that the bear takes on these elements of the thing that it killed Mm. That is horrifying, but it's also like, strange as it may sound, it's like, now you're never gone. Like, part of you is still with us yeah, as a function right, right. of this bear, which is a function of the shimmer. Like, it's just, 
It's wild to think it's, about. It's man. great. It's, it's yeah. just such a, these ideas are just so awesome in, in the movie. And I think I just, one of the, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. And, and one of the reasons, because it's just, I use the word curious. It's just mm. a lot of the best science fiction has a real curiosity about what oh, we're seeing. Absolutely. absolutely. And it understands that like, if you, like, if you watch a nature documentary, you will eventually see, uh, something get horribly murdered and mm -hmm. not murdered, sorry, just killed. Um, <laughs> right. And you'll feel bad for it, but it's like, but that's part of it. That's part of mm -hmm. what this is. Yeah. And with yeah. the shimmer, we're just seeing a complete, we're seeing like our own nature documentary, but of a nature we've never seen before. Right. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk a little bit about this, and I'm, and I'm actually deviating a bit from my notes here because I think we're headed in, in a different direction. One that I'm actually more excited about, um, which is this idea of attempting to move closer to this thing that is scary and mystifying, but seems to give you purpose. Mm. Um, I'm sure you know where I'm headed here, sure. um, but, but that's the thing you're moving towards it, but you're also moving away from other things. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, there's a line by the Ventress character played uh, very ably by Jennifer Jason Lee. in which she says, I think you're confusing suicide with self-destruction and they're very different. Almost none of us commit suicide where almost all of us self-destruct somehow in some part of our lives, we drink or take drugs or destabilize the happy job or happy marriage, but these aren't decisions, they're impulses. And in fact, as a biologist, you're better placed to explain them than me. Isn't the self-destruction coded into us imprinted into each cell? And so like this idea of an inherent brokenness that will just ruin the mm -hmm. things that we, that we interact with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have a quote here by someone named Jared Wilson, J-A-R-R-I-D. Uh, I made these notes a while ago. I don't know who that is. Um, I think it's, I think he's a theologian. Okay. Based on this quote, I'm going to say it's a guarantee. <laughs> okay. Abraham was old. Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abused. Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and money hungry. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians. So he just kind of lists this. The, these are the, for lack of a better term, heroes of the Bible. Right, right. But, and of course he's, he's reducing them. You know, the idea is like, like Job went bankrupt. Well, mm -hmm. is that the furthest extent of how bad things went for him? But the point <laughs> is like this, this list like really boils these characters down. If you want to look at them a different way, right, it boils right. them down to their brokenness, mm -hmm. but they're still able to achieve amazing things. How? And so as we look at annihilation one something that comes along fairly early is and and honestly in a way that maybe is a bit too expositionary um all five women that are a part of this expedition are are running from something yes and yes. i don't know if they ever if they think that this exposition 
expedition will give their lives a different meaning, mm. but they're going into something that just transforms yeah. and no, I, they never say I want to transform. One of them does eventually, but they never say that. Right. right. But you kind of feel like that's a big part of it is mm -hmm. if I, if I change, Hey, you know what, what am I clinging to? Mm -hmm. If I just die again, what am I clinging to? If I make it out again, well, I'm no, you know, no worse for wear. Right. And, but it's like, it's this idea. It's like, no matter what I'm moving, I, I have to get away and I'm moving towards something. Mm -hmm. Um, same with the, the, the sunshine, uh, crew as well. And so I did want to talk about, you know, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I don't mean to say as though I, to speak as though I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this, but I'm very acquainted with my own brokenness. And just yesterday in my men's group, I was talking about how much I would give to change who I am. Uh, mm. Like I'm, I don't often feel grateful for the stuff that God has given me and the stuff that God has made me because mm. all I see is what I lack. Mm. Um, and I just, and, the, and there are times I don't do this anymore, but there are times that I pray when I would pray to God, it's like, uh, can you just like make me different? And I don't mean to say, you know, I know that plenty of people pray that for various reasons, but it's like, I don't want to, I don't like being good at this stuff. It's, it's dumb mm -hmm. and nobody values it. Why can't I make good at, at this other stuff? Whatever it is. And, um, I stopped praying that cause it wasn't happening. <laughs> um, and also I think I realized like, this is not the proverbial thorn in my side. Mm, right, you know, right, this right. is not the, you know, me being good at one thing and not another is not an, not an actual flaw, mm, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but this, this deep desire to like, to get away from myself mm, and get away mm. from my instinct and nature, whatever you want to say, um, is something that I can really relate to in these movies. Um, and then in, in the, in the situation of sunshine, like I was saying, like moving towards this thing that might give your life meaning, but as you do, you wonder, it's like, well, what am I, what am I clinging to here? Uh, right, is humanity right. worth saving? And so, you know, as we talk about anytime we talk about salvation or redemption or any mm. of these very Christian concepts, you know, we do, we are also talking about transformation. Yeah. You know, the, the big thing with Paul is that he was formerly Saul and then <laughs> underwent a, not a physical transformation, although he was blind for a short time. Um, he underwent like a major change so much so that his name couldn't be the same. He right. was a different right. person and there's a, a transformative element. Um, and I think there are times when that, scares us. Uh, and I think there are times when that invigorates us. Um, but I just kind of wanted to explore that, uh, yeah. a little bit, um, with this because specifically in regards to not necessarily sin, but like our, our, our instincts to do the wrong thing and to keep returning to behavior that is destructive. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically as we are Christian, like we have been faced with redemption and, and transformation. And yet we still cling to this, you know, what people would call the flesh, you know, we still right, cling to this right. thing that we used to be. And, 
I don't know. I don't know why we necessarily do that. I guess it's the idea of like, well, it's what's safe. Like I'm running from it, but at the same time, it's what I know. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily a, a part of annihilation, but again, these characters are bringing this with them as they go. Right. Um, right. So yeah, it was just uh, something that I wanted to kind of, I don't think I'm going to get to the bottom of anything today no. or, or solve it. Right. Um, but right. it was something I was thinking about. Yeah. And uh, so a few thoughts there. Um, and no, I don't think, I don't think some things has, as I, occasionally put it on the fear of God. I don't, I don't think some things have a bumper sticker. I don't right. think some things have like a real tagline that you can put on, but I feel like when we're exploring, so what we're looking at is something that will, when, when we talk about sin, it's inherent destructive properties. Right. But I think we are drawn to things which are sinful out of a desire to create something. Mm -hmm. um, th that's very broad language, but here's kind of what I'm after that we want to generate things in our life. Um, scripture of course says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Sure. The, there's overt things that we could look to that we become addicted to, um, but we are drawn to them because they fulfill a certain momentary pleasure, and that's why we're drawn to them. Um, but I do feel like when when people are moving towards toxic or sinful things, they are, man, this is so broad, but hopefully what I'm saying will not feel too far afield of the reality. I think we are striving towards generating something in our life that we believe at least fundamentally will ultimately benefit us. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pursue that relationship. I'm going to, I'm going to acquire this thing because I have the right to, and I have the agency to, right. and I'm going to go after this thing. And so we bring in that pursuit in the efforts to create something, we bring something destructive into our life. Yeah. Now, as I've said multiple times and smarter and wiser people than I, than I am have said before the kingdom of God is backwards and the, and the way the Lord operates is backwards. And I'll say this and then I'll tie it into annihilation is that we in, if you want to use this language, our sinfulness seek to generate and create things by destructive means. Now we mm -hmm. don't, we don't automatically call them destructive, and most of the time we don't automatically think they are destructive, right. but those things may come in such a way, and, and it deposits toxicity into our spirit. And so it's destroying us all the while we're trying to create something. But with the kingdom of God, he actually invites you into destruction. Mm -hmm. um, as I believe it was Bonhoeffer says that, that basically the Lord bids us to come and die. Yeah. So he invites us into destruction, into the cross, into taking the cross up and following after him. So he, the invitation of the gospel is into losing yourself so that you can find yourself, and which is, which is the exact opposite of what tends to be the sinful tendency to 
try to generate or create something by means that will ultimately wither us from the inside out. Um, I'm think the the most overt example that comes to mind is the greed that some people try to amass a legacy. Mm-hmm. Rich Mullins had a statement, and there's um, Rich Mullins was an eminently quotable human being, but he had a statement that I loved where he said, "If my ambition is to leave a legacy." what I will most likely leave is a legacy of ambition. Hmm. And that's one of those very neat, yeah. you know, reversal phrases. But I do think there's a lot if of, you don't man- if you don't master your anger, your angle, master anger you. your master. Exactly. it works <laughs> unilaterally, but I do think there's a lot of profundity in that idea of like, yeah, if, if your goal is I'm going to make a difference, yeah. then chances are you're going to deposit so much destructive toxicity along the way yeah. that, that I mean, and I'm thinking, uh, this is a, a bit of a tangent. I promise I will bleed this back into annihilation. Um, I'm thinking of how divisive the, leg- the ultimate legacy of Billy Graham was mm. when Billy Graham passed away. Um, it, it took me a bit aback at how many people were debating over whether or not his contribution to the larger culture and and history of of American sort of evangelism was beneficial or destructive. And um, I'm not going down that avenue, but I'm simply pointing out that sometimes, you know, legacies can be complicated. And what I find interesting about Annihilation is that, you know, yeah, Again, like we've said so many times in this, you're drawn into the shimmer, you become part of it, and you lose so much of what things looked like and felt like and were yeah. before. She's got this, she walks out with this essentially like a tattoo yeah. or something that who know who knows where that came from and what yeah. that even what that even is. It started as like a bruise thing, I think. And so there's so many parts of her in both minuscule and if the ending is to if the ending is to be taken seriously in much more fundamental ways, yeah. she will never be the same. Yeah, and um, and I do think that is something that if we're considering things spiritually, that's what's horrifying about the gospel. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a liberating quality. There's a peaceful quality. There's ultimately, I believe, a hopeful quality to the gospel. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it. Um, but. That's what's also terrifying about it is that the deeper I move into it, I don't, I don't really get to be the same. Yeah, it's you know it reminds me uh, in a lot of ways actually of the Great Divorce, that wonderful mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis book. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about like now that we're talking about it, when I think of the visualization of the Shimmer, part of me is like, oh, I just want Alex Garland to make a version of the Great Divorce <laughs> oh my God, that because be great? it's oh. it's very thematically similar. It's people who come from hell, mm-hmm. which is a very you know they know what's expected of them there, right? And they come to heaven, and it's so different than what they're used to. Like, and they themselves physically are not ready for it. Right. Like the, the grass like literally hurts their feet because right. it's right. real and solid and they can't even really make an impact on it. Uh, but people come and they bring their sin with them. And so like there's this one guy who has like a little like a little lizard thing on his, oh, on his yeah. shoulder and it's right. constantly whispering into his ear and, and like making him hate himself and stuff like that. And then finally like an angel says, Oh, do you want me to kill that for you? And yes. he goes, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. So the angel starts to, and it hurts, it hurts yeah. the man so much. And he goes, no, no, never mind, never mind. You know what? I can live with it. And then it keeps with the lizard just keeps whispering. And finally he goes, you know what? Go ahead. 
Right. Because if right. this thing kills me, it's better than this. Yeah. Right. And the angel eventually does kill the lizard and it causes the man tremendous pain, mm -hmm. but eventually he's done. Like he's, uh, the lizard is dead. And then it, the lizard turns into the, the dead lizard turns into this, like this big radiant horse that the man climbs on top of and rides into heaven. Right. Like, right, right, right. you know, what are we talking about there? We are talking about transformation mm -hmm. and quite literally annihilation. Yes. You yeah. know, when you look at the word annihilation, it has such a negative quality and, uh, qu you know, quality to it, which is understandable, but it's about this idea. It's like, if you're going to change, that means that the thing you used to be is annihilated. It's mm -hmm. gone, mm -hmm. you know? And that's the thing is, but at the same time, the transformation of this guy in the great divorce, he's transforming into something that's infinitely more real, Yeah, you know? And so the idea of like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, there's a, uh, before I started taking antidepressants, I was very reluctant to, because I thought it would change who I was. Mm. And then Jen actually pointed out like, yeah, but I don't recognize you now. Oh, She's like, right. The depression has changed you into somebody that you're actually not. Yeah. It right. might feel, this might feel as real to you as it is, as, as can be. And understandably so. She's like, but I don't recognize the man I married. Mm -hmm. So then I started taking like antidepressants and she goes, I'm starting to remember you now, mm. you know? And so right. when we're in the thick of like the negativity, the thick of sin, the thick of brokenness, whatever, we may not like it, but it's like, Hey, you know what? I can live with it. It's fine. It's fine. Don't right. annihilate me, please. Right. right. Um, because it is scary. Mm -hmm. And because when you, when you are a new creation, you're like, I don't, there's no real roadmap here. I don't, I don't know what's expected of me now. Also, what if I make a mistake? What if I don't do it right? right. You know? And so there's a, a passage here from Philippians three verses 12 through 16. Um, and I love the way this starts because it starts, I know it's the translation, but it starts really well. And I'm going to say it like this. <laughs> Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, that's how it starts. Yes, and it just yes, sounds like, yes. it sounds like a Woody Allen character. Um, <laughs> not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hmm. And it's this idea. I mean, he, he leads off with like, all right, look, I haven't done this. Right. But right. I do understand the principle here mm -hmm. that because it's already been done, because the hard work, the, the you know, like before we allow ourselves to be annihilated, to put it in those terms, uh, right. Jesus allowed himself to be annihilated first, mm. which was, uh, must've been a heck of a thing because he didn't have any sin to annihilate. Yeah. It was just him. Mm -hmm. Um, and so because that has happened, uh, we can look at that as an example. We can look at that as, you know, something to strive towards, but it is also the thing that allows us to to move forward in our transformation with the freedom uh, 
to make the mistakes and to fall back into old habits, to look back instead of, instead of looking forward, you yeah. know, we make those mistakes and it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be easy to, to keep pressing on. Right. But thankfully we're not alone in that, you right. know, that's the right. thing about annihilation or sunshine is that in the, in the end, Natalie Portman's character arrives where she is just completely alone. Mm, and mm. it's a very, it's, it's wondrous, but it's also extremely intimidating. Sure. Um, and she has to try and just figure stuff out for herself. Whereas like we, we just move on towards, you can, the shimmer, we move on towards the sun, we move on towards the source of light and destruction. But thankfully we have something that, that has come out of that source to carry us along and often carry us through and maybe just carry us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I know that, uh, we need to sort of wrap up, but, uh, you know, these are very lofty ideas mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing is, you know, when you, when you watch annihilation and you watch it towards the very end, like, you could see like the new creations that we are now watching in the mm -hmm. film. You could almost see that as a little bit insidious, except it doesn't seem that way. Right. Um, right. It could also be seen as a little bit as, as optimistic and more purely loving and not suspicious and guilty right. and all of these things that the characters were bringing into the shimmer with them. Like that has been right. burned away and now they're starting almost completely fresh. Well, it's, isn't his line, and I, I, I did not get the opportunity to rewatch before the recording, but isn't his line something like she asks him, are you my husband? Mm -hmm. And I think his line is something like, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, you're right in other contexts that might be the big shock reveal. Yeah. Like, Oh, he's really, the, but it's not that simple in a film yeah. like this because when we think about and so casually use terms like new creation, mm -hmm. they've lost their weight. That those that term has That's lost very its true. weight. That's very true. Yeah. And we don't understand what that means because when we use um, I'm going to try to be very very brief here. I would also real quick I would along those lines I would say the term born again. Now yes. admittedly yes. born again as a single noun, uh, <laughs> putting that aside, the concept of being born again new yeah. creation. These are things we've heard for a long time. Yeah. But if we really take the time to th understand or, or contemplate what they mean, yeah. you know, um, sorry, I'll throw back to no, you, no, but no, I wanted okay. to incorporate that. But we're talking about a fundamental change. Yeah. And so I'm going to be very brief in this, in this little setup. I had preached a sermon, uh, probably, you know, 15 years ago now at this point, but I had preached a sermon where I talked about when the people of Israel first came to Egypt, um, they came there because Joseph was there. And the scriptures call out in the early part of the book of Exodus, it says, a Pharaoh came who did not remember Joseph. Mm. Logically, we could take that to mean that if, if enough time had gone by that a Pharaoh did not remember Joseph, the people of Israel did not remember living outside of Egypt. Oh, yeah. And then they go through 400 years of enslavement, which means just doing simple math, there were generations after generation who had been born and died 
in slavery. Mm. Very tragic thing to think about something like that. But when they cried out for freedom, and this was the thesis of my sermon, when they cried out for freedom, they had only one context for freedom, Mm -hmm. the Egyptians. They only had the context of the world they had seen around them. They only had the context of how these people lived and this degree of freedom, which is so why we beat up on them a lot for it, but which is why when God eventually comes, brings Moses, the plagues leads them out of Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness. Naturally, when things get hard, they are going to want to go back to what is familiar. Right. They are want to go, going to go back to the only version of freedom that they know, not knowing the promised land that lays ahead of them. So when we talk about terms like new creation and mm-hmm. born again, it is easy for us, to, I think, it is easy for us to, this may be a bit of too bold of a language, but we neuter those phrases oh, yeah. by our persistent casual use of them yeah it's and, just it's like oh it's a uh, a new car like that's just like my car but washed right right no no it's a do it's a new car you're going to have to learn how it operates yes. you're going to learn how you have to learn how to maintain it like a new car is not a new coat of paint it's a completely new thing right. that you're going to have to get used to the fundamental operating system is going to function differently your yeah. motive and and when we're thinking in context of new creation in a gospel sense your intentions should be or, or like your old and will use the term sinful intentions will have to die away and that will hurt. And there will be fundamental changes that do take place. And, and, and there is a beauty to that, but there is a fear to it as well. And it's understandable that like, yeah, I mean, I I have no um, suppositions that Alex Garland is a religious man, but the, the idea of annihilation being merely a transitional process into something new is something that I think Christians, uh, particularly Christians who take things seriously, the intellectual yeah. exercises seriously, need to give some serious consideration to this concept of if we believe uh, the scriptures, sin was a fundamental change on a base level. Their mm-hmm. eyes were opened, and they they were ashamed of their nakedness. So there was something fundamental that had shifted and and broken, and it will require an equally fundamental and even greater, more you know, more elemental and fundamental yeah. change to reverse that. And um, and it it is these kinds of contemplations. There is a power to the gospel that goes far beyond making, you know, better, more moral, more polite, uh, nicer people. Mm-hmm. There's something very, um, yeah, I keep coming back to this term. There's, a, there's just something very scary about it, but not in, a, in this nightmarish way. Right. There is something on the other side of it that maybe we can press into, and as yeah. Christ did when he had to face the cross, that for the joy that was set before him, he overcame that fear. Yeah. And maybe that's the task for, that sits for all of us. Like, as I'm thinking about it now, I'm thinking of like, okay, tonight before I go to bed, like, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it differently in my prayer. Maybe I'll say, Lord, please annihilate me. Mm-hmm. And as I'm thinking about it, it's like, ugh. Right. Who says that? Right. Right. That's right. That is a terrifying thing to think about. But again, it's not pure annihilation. It's, it's the destruction of the old so that the new can, 
can rise. Yeah. And so I want to bring this back to sunshine. Sure. Sure. The last, I mean, I might, I might get choked up just thinking about it because the, not the very last image, but as the characters are just plummeting towards the sun and at this point, the concept of living through the ordeal is not going to, that's done. Yeah. Okay. And as their death is imminent, the music that is playing is when I is a piece of music that sadly has just been used for trailers for really mediocre movies, but (laughs) it is some of the most, it is maybe the most beautiful piece of music uh, of movie music that I have heard in, it's like a top 10 Mm. piece of movie music and it is so beautiful and it's not, there's a sadness, but there's also, there's a rising quality to it. It sounds, it literally, you know, in my mind, of course I'm a Christian, but like, it sounds like triumph, like Mm -hmm. emotional triumph. And it is so beautiful at a moment when the characters are about to be very literally annihilated Yeah, because in that annihilation comes this redemption. Mm -hmm. They annihilate their, their annihilation is the most beautiful thing that could be happening at this exact moment. Mm. And it's partially because they're absolutely willing to do it. Right. And so, um, and I think what I may do is I may end this episode with that piece of music so that you can, so that Mm. listeners, I would, I would challenge you and I, I would encourage you and I would pray for you as I hope you will pray for me and read that like, when you hear this music, think about like this music going, like think of this music as you ask for God to like annihilate, like I, I, it sounds so weird to use the word, but like annihilate, like who you are and the, the, not just the brokenness, but like the sin, the stuff that clings to these, these old ways of thinking mm-hmm. and just the, mm-hmm. the selfish way of thinking and these things that just keep you like quivering in a corner because you're like, well, at least I know what's expected of me here in this corner. It's like to get rid of that so that you feel free to go out and do what you need to do and do what God wants you to do so that you can feel closer to God so that you can serve God so that you can serve your fellow man. Like all of these things, like think of this music as you ask God to annihilate you so that you can better do what you are supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, and so along those lines, Isaiah 6, 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me, Mm. which is a very annihilation and sunshine attitude, which is like, well, okay, so who's going to do this thing? Mm. It's like, all right, uh, yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) And and on one hand, it's like a really noble thing, but on the other, like, it's a very scary thing, you know? Mm. And that's the thing is annihilation. We're talking about it in Halloween times. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are extremely frightening and unnerving moments to it, but there's also an extreme, there's extreme beauty to it. And what's more is in the midst of the shimmer, annihilation is not the end. It's actually just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I think we'll go ahead and end it there partially because my computer is almost completely out of battery. Um, so that works well. Um, but yeah, so, uh, feel free to comment on this episode. Uh, we spoke to, spoken very lofty, strange terms, but, uh, hopefully, uh, you were able to understand them. Hopefully we're able to understand them. I'm not sure I do, but, um, but yeah, so you're welcome to comment. Uh, do check out the fear of God as they're Please talking do. about the, the best horror movies of the 1980s. Um, 
And you can all, always email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com or follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Reed on Twitter. At Reed Lackey. Or at Reed Lackey. And uh, the show at The Fear of God. At The Fear of God. Okay. So talking about some big stuff here. Um, and uh, Reed, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. And we will go out on this uh, wonderful piece of music from Sunshine. And as you hear it, I would encourage you to pray to God for annihilation. Oh, that sounds so horrible. Uh, of your, of your uh, sinful self. Let's put it that way. Let's put that little in parentheses. We'll, we'll put that next to it just so that you uh, feel okay uh, asking about it. But anyway, thank you everybody for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.